Money Show. Make Money Mondays. Welcome to the Monet Show. Monet show. Well, that's what my producer sent you every evening. Um, I think called a running order is sent out, um, and everybody receives it. And I, I, th- I didn't know that we changed from, from a, a money show to an art show. I hope tomorrow is the Renoir show, and then on Wednesday we could have Andy Warhol Wednesdays. I think that'd be nice. Um, so tonight is the Monet show. It's very cultured because we have Wendy Nola. In studio, she's our consumer ninja. Um, she joins us usually on a Wednesday night um, to pick a fight with somebody, and she does it so well. But tonight, it's uh, slightly more vulnerable, Wendy Nola, because <laughs> we get to talk to you about you. Um, and I, I, I learned some things about you today um, that you did. You oh, you're making me nervous, Bruce. Not, and anyway, I have to just get this in because I think it's clever. On Wednesday, when I'm on with you, it's the Moni Show. Oh, very nice. We like this. <laughs> I like that. It's better yes, than, what did you learn about me? It's better than whinging with Wendy on Wednesdays. Um, right, uh, Wendy Nola, <laughs> not only one of the most authoritative voices and respected consumer journalist, if not the <sighs> most respected consumer journalist, she's had a journalism career which has spanned several decades. Um, she, I, this is, <laughs> I didn't know that you'd covered politics and fashion. When, did, when was politics yes. and fashion part of your life? Well, it was local politics. It was between, I'd say, around sort of 91 to, to, to the new era being ushered in, 94. So whatever was going on at a national level with national politics, and that was a lot, there was a sort of a, a version of that happening at a local government level. And so... I was in Durban at the time, and it was the, sort of the last white mayor and all the side talks and all of that going on. So, yeah, it was an interesting, very interesting time. Um, and, yeah, fashion, well, I worked at a large, on the Mercury, uh, the morning daily in Durban, and for about 17 years straight, I think. So I covered a lot of beats and got to do a lot of things, and I spent some time in London as foreign correspondent. So I think all of that before the consumer journalism stuff started 22 years ago. And I think it was, no, it was, it was, it was colorful. It was a nice uh, range of things to do as a journalist. Wait, so the consumer bug bit then, what, 22 years ago, do you remember what it was that was the catalyst other than being told, this is your beat now, go and do it? Um, or did you? Well, that was pretty, it, pretty it? much it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was on maternity leave with my first child, my daughter, and I was um, invited or summoned, I suppose, to meet the editor and a couple of his sidekicks over lunch, sort of in between breastfeeding schedules. Um, And they said, we've done some focus groups and we feel that the readers have said that they would like a consumer column and we feel that you're the person to do it and how about it when you get back from maternity leave. And so I always know how long I've been doing it because it's the same age as my daughter, who's now 22. Um, and that's where it where it started, really. I didn't I didn't have a clue. I'd, I mean, you know, nowadays I get too many hundreds of emails every day, and those days there was an inbox of zero consumer complaints. You would have got so letters in in the post, wouldn't you? I mean, when you started, I did, and faxes, and faxes, and emails, and then. And then calls. I used to sit in the newsroom and annoy everybody talking loudly to consumers about their various problems. And very soon that became overwhelming. And then we switched to please only in writing. But in the early days, yes, I used to sit most days with the phone attached to my ear, making notes. 
<laughs> I, but yeah, I'm sure people are far more succinct in writing than they certainly were on the telephone and certainly probably are in email. If you're forced to sit down and write a letter in words with ink on paper, you think about your complaint beforehand. And I, th- I wonder if you get better quality complaints if people write them down rather than type them or certainly send um, uh, a voice um, note because um, nobody can think um, and speak at the same time anymore. <laughs> um, so I, I wonder whether or not you get be- you got better quality complaints in handwriting. Um, I want to be careful here because I'm so indebted to all the people that entrust me with their problems, however well or badly transcribed, um, because without that full inbox, I wouldn't have the material that I have. But I have to say, I mean, I tweeted the other day, a few days ago, um, that if people only put all the information that I needed to help them <laughs> in one email and I and I could forward it straight away to Game or Standard Bank or Woolworths or whoever, um, in the moment, I would be so much more productive and I would be able to get to so many more cases. So people will write to me, honestly, 9 out of 10 don't have the basic, all the basic information I need, dates. They'll write to me about a cell phone complaint and not put their cell phone number there. Please help me take this up. Um, the, just the basic information is missing. So then I have to write back. I don't have any help. I get hundreds of emails a day and I have seven deadlines a week that I have to research and, you know, get a uh, supplier comment on and everything else, the, business, the company's comments. Um, so then I write back and there's a very good chance that when they reply, I just won't even see the response because there's been this new deluge of emails and I'm trying to juggle things and not succeeding most of the time. So, yeah, it would, people generally are not, and it's, and it's, it's across the board, whether they express themselves well in English or not. And I have to say the the complainants who don't have English as a first language do a better job at expressing themselves. They take more care I think with so. their emails. And Brett, ra- you, you must see that as well. No, but rage does, co- rage does terrible things to people's ability to explain themselves. By the time That's you, true. you're sending a note to Wendy Nola, you are so cross and you're quite so cross. fed yes. up. That you and desperate and desperate and, yeah. of, and often I mean you are on the bare bones of your backside because you've been severely impacted and you're no longer thinking as clearly and succinctly as you might otherwise would have and you start rambling or you um, don't put all the facts down because you kind of expect everyone else to know your pain so please fix this help me and you don't have enough you've, detail you've actually you've actually described that so well because I often think well uh, does this person think how this communication is landing like what yeah. is that person who's receiving what can they do with it and it's not just about me having a little whinge about i wish people gave me more info in their first email but anyway if you're asking for help of you know the company that you that you um, engaged with or anybody if you can express yourself clearly state the facts all the facts state what you want and by when um you've got so much more chance of getting what you want than if you just sort of Vomited out, however, onto the onto the email with. Uh, don't get me started on on, on punctuation okay. all the rest. No, I no, get, no, no, no. We won't I, get. I've got lots that. of questions, Wendy. Yes. Lots of questions. Lots I know. Questions. I'm lots trying to keep you from the vulnerable bits. No, no, no. no, no You've done the vulnerable bits. Trust me. I'm a journalist. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. How do you deal with Wendy Nola being wronged, or does nobody dare wrong Wendy Nola? <laughs> 
It doesn't often happen, Bruce. And I don't think it's because I'm Wendy Nola. It's because I learn from everybody else's mistakes and I know how to protect myself. Um, I'm a lot cleverer about um, consumer land than I was 22 years ago, that's for sure. And most of it is not – some of it is due to maturing and having my own personal – more of my own personal experiences. But most of it is uh, because I deal with people who who got it wrong – all day, every day, and so I, le- I learned the pitfalls and 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 how not to fall into them myself. So okay. yeah, I, that's another reason why I'm indebted to all the thousands of people that that I deal with. You know, how, in a given month, how do people respond when you say, "Hi, I'd like to open an account, please," and they say, "Name," and you say, "Wendy Nola." Do they scream and run away, or do they actually let you open accounts? Because you must be the most terrifying <laughs> customer to have. <laughs> I don't actually open accounts anymore. I close a lot of them. Okay. Um, I do business with them. A plumber, you phone a plumber yes. and you say, I've no, got a blocked drain. You, yes. No, I'll tell you something that you might find amusing. So about a decade ago, my home in Durban, we did a uh, quite a lot of um, home improvements. Um, and at least two, if not three, service providers that I called in to give me a quote. When I gave my name... Um, and I'm probably most well known in, in KZN because I've been doing a radio show there since 2004. Um, and they'd hesitate and then say, the Wendy, you know, and it sounds so arrogant <laughs> to say yes. I mean, what does that even mean? I, I don't even know how to answer that. And then just never heard from him again. And then he said, well, I dodged that bullet. <laughs> that, that happened, yeah, that happened a few times. Um, I'm sure it did. And also, can we get the term home improvement changed, please? Because I'm not too sure um, that anything that those people do actually ever does improve the home. um, Based (laughs) on some good service providers, do not generalize Bruce Whitfield. There are some very good operators. I'm I'm too badly personally damaged by this process. Wendy Nolan, our consumer ninja, is in studio with us. Now we're going to talk about money. This is the vulnerable bits, the bits that she wanted to avoid. But these are the bits we'll get to in just a moment. Wendy Nola, I'll make Money Monday's guest this evening. So, Wendy Nola, um, has yes. anybody ever offered you a bribe? Huh. Um, no. But there's a pause a and, a, and a, a thought, an incentive. Um, no, people... Um, oh, Assume sometimes have. Um, I'm trying to think. This is like, I, hmm, I didn't prep for this question, Bruce. It's uh-huh. naughty. Um, the short answer is well, I certainly never taken one, but um, there's. Well, I'll tell you what has happened, um, which is more common, is that and it's infuriating to me. So I will raise a complaint with a company. They'll do a side deal with a complainant and say, <laughs> we'll do the right thing as long as it doesn't get published. Mm. And then I'm a little bit in a situation because the person wants <sighs> the, the deal, but they, and they don't want to jeopardize it. And then what I get, I just get used as the threat. I'm, my job is to publish in the public interest. So I've had to be quite firm in several, on several occasions yes. about that. That's what I deal with. Mostly, what comes up more and more though is people who think that they can, if they pay me, I'll take up their case above others. 
um, or that I, d- I routinely get paid for my services because people don't understand journalism has been so diluted. We've got influences and we've got advertorials and 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 people generally would say, what are your what is your fee? If I if I get back to them, say I I want to take up your case, I need this and this and this information. And they'll say, but what is your fee? So which I find terribly sad. But it's because there aren't enough consumer journalists who are doing this kind of thing where you don't just write stories, but you get involved actively in people's cases routinely every day. Um, I, I don't know, but it, 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 it never happened 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, that people even thought to say, what is your fee? Were you born with a silver spoon in your mouth, Wendy? Were you born to a life of luxury, comfort and privilege? Yes, I was. <gasps> I, I, I put my hand up to white privilege. In the context of South Africa, absolutely. My parents grew up dirt poor. My father's father died when he was in Standard 9, I think. He left school. Um, and he bumbled along doing all sorts of things and got into property eventually and made a decent living. Um, so, so yes, I... I I yeah I was I've had a I had a privileged upbringing. Um, um, did, I have white privilege and quite a bit of white guilt as well, okay. especially when you go into journalism. But but yes, I mean I think we need to <laughs> more of us need to actually acknowledge that if you went to decent schools. I mean, I had a few years in a private school, but I started and ended up in government schools in the last three years. But um, you know, by comparison to what most of the children in the country were getting for schooling at the time, it was incredibly privileged. Um, and I think um, we should yeah, put you, our hands up to that. But you went into a career in journalism, so you went from privilege to yes. poverty. Um, <laughs> well, exactly. And my father was not happy about that at the time. I could tell you as a businessman that was not what he wanted for his for his girl child. Um, and, and Not at all. What, what made you choose journalism? I mean, what made you choose the knowledge that if you stuck to journalism all your life and you didn't go into the more lucrative world of uh, public relations or investor relations or any one of the more glamorous occupations that are not nearly as fulfilling, I'm sure, um, that you would be satisfied with your lot from an economic perspective? Well, maybe because I, I don't know. I'm sort of thinking about this the first time, maybe because my parents were always comfortable and maybe psychologically or subconsciously, I always knew that if I would have a safety net, I could pursue what I really wanted to. I don't know. I've never, I've never had to do that with my parents, but um, I just wanted to, I had a, my friend, one of my friends in my last few years of school, um, her mother was Colleen Shearer, who was a renowned consumer journalist at the Sunday Tribune at the time in KZN. And I used to watch her work and I was fascinated by the work that she did and we connected and spoke about it. And when I got into journalism, it wasn't to do that. And ironically, I ended up in, in this career. But it, but I think the idea of journalism was planted there. Also, I was very good at English at school and pretty crap at everything else so that was something to do with writing was just the whole idea of it I got into journalism in the mid 80s at a little community newspaper and then moved to the Mercury in 87 it was the dark years and I think look we weren't exactly the fray of Wehrblatt but we were you know it was sort of this the social crusading bit um, appealed to me just the I don't know, it just felt like doing something meaningful. And this sounds very cringy when I'm saying it, but the consumer journalism 
after all these years was sort of an extension of that for me. So sure. you use yeah. your privilege to help others. I mean, in the early years, it was the madams who discovered the terrible deal, economic deals, you know, buying the fridge on, on an installment deal and paying three times and having the deal padded with all sorts of extra charges. The, the madams were horrified and took up the domestic workers' cases. And now it's come full circle Um I don't hear via the madams very often. It's people themselves or the children of the domestic workers who ask me to help. It just makes me feel worthy. It just makes yeah. me feel satisfied to do what I do. I can't put it any other way. And you know what? The financial rewards aren't huge, but I do okay because I found a bit of a niche and I exploited it. Um, whatever offer came my way. I, I took up and short, short answers, Wendy. Short and answers. I love it. Short answers, Wendy. Need well, to, come need, on, Bruce. Need it's to get me. To the I don't bits. do short answers well. Need, need to get no, no, I'm, 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 <laughs> best, <laughs> what, best, what? best money decision Wendy Nola ever made. Because when you started out, you would have had a, a company pension, and there would have been all kinds of benefits and and comforts and all sorts of things. And those yes. things have largely gone by the by the by. So absolutely, like most of us, you've got to look after your own money. So, um, are you a, are you a good custodian of your own money? I kind of am. Um, the best decision I made was when I left independent newspapers in 2000 and first time. In 2004, I've got to think about this. 2006, it doesn't matter. I can't remember. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Sorry, I can't believe I can't remember this. But anyway, I got my pension out. And my parents were doing a property deal. Property was booming. And I went in a third share in a Brock of fats they bought and redid and then sold, and I trebled my pension. Well, <laughs> so I did some sensible bits. I bought an investment flat, and I, yeah, um, so that was probably the best money decision I ever made at that point. They got the timing was excellent. Does Wendy because as journalists, you don't get ca- much in the way of capital, really, usually. No, you don't, and you don't get second chances either. Um, so what is the okay? So that was your best. Everyone's got a small Indiana skeleton. Does Wendy Nola ever make mistakes? Did you have? Have you made a money mistake? Something embarrassing, preferably. <laughs> um. Um. Well, the, the answer look, is yes, and what was it? Yes. Not really. It wasn't. It wasn't really my doing. But I was sent to London on a two-year posting. I was at the London office. It was supposed to be two years, and then at the end of the first year. The rand plummeted, listen to this, to eight rand to the pound. It was shocking. And they closed the office for the first, I mean, it had been going since the end of the Second World War. So I was the last secondee. And I just would have saved a lot more had I known. (laughs) I was only going to get 13 months and not two years. And so it was a missed opportunity for me there that I regret. But in my defense, I I didn't really know any better at the time. It just came out of the left side. But yeah, that was a very big missed opportunity to save a lot of pounds and do something um, meaningful with with those converted you, into rand. You but yeah, could what have can done I do? worse. You could have done worse. Do you have any? Do you have any, uh, any any bad habits? Wonderful things that you like to spend money on? Little I don't know ornate pictures or something completely frivolous that only you care about that are probably not worth very much, but you spend far too much money on them, or a, or, or a drinking habit that we need to know about, or something like that. <laughs> Bruce, you're gonna you're gonna regret ask me because I don't have I, I'm very boring in that respect. I've 
I've had uh, two children that I've put through private school and currently through university. So luxuries um, oh, are not, not fun very, at all. Yeah, I like. I like to go to restaurants when I could, and I like to drink nice wine, but I don't have like a really expensive shoe habit. And I, I mean, gosh, during lockdown, I was doing box dye, so you know, expensive hairdos. And I'm actually very comfortable as long as I can travel a bit and 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 wine and dine a bit. I'm I'm happy, but I don't I I, can't, I don't have the luxury of being able to. I'm too care. I'm very careful with my money. No, I always, really? I'm very careful. I I'm believe shocked. it. Well. Well, all these emails I get from people who weren't, you know, yeah. it makes you wise up a little bit. Wendy Nola has turned her career into a self-improvement course. Thank you, Wendy Nola, very much. Wendy Nola, our Consumer Ninja. Can't wait to talk to you again on Wednesday, Wendy Nola. But thank you for sharing some personal details with us this evening. Lovely to get some insights into the way Wendy Nola works. And no, I didn't expect her to have any personal habits. I expected her to be precisely the way she is because she's the Consumer Ninja.